music like that that's just soothing. Just soothing. I appreciate the singing tonight. appreciate you being in the Lord's house. Brother Matt's already said it. It's cold and dreary outside. And, and it's a good night just to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And where it's warm and where the Lord can help us. Mention Miss Brenda Lyles praying. I want you to continue to pray for her. Spoke with her this week. Uh, Miss Brenda is, is going to have, I think, about three different therapists that she is going to have come into her house to help her recover from the things that she's been going through. That's a lot of therapy. And uh, so you pray for her. Um, of course, sometimes I feel like when I go to the nursing home anymore, I feel like that's where many of our people are. Pray for Miss Estelle Wyatt and uh, pray for her. And Miss Phyllis Edinger is there, Ruth Deadman. And uh, we've got many of our folks in many different places, and we ought to pray for them. I was down at the barber shop today, and uh, it was just uh, me and the three barbers was all that's in there. And I found the time to go to the barber shop, and that's Wednesday afternoon. But uh, they got a new barber down here at South End in China Grove. And I knew he looked familiar to me, and it's Jeff. Uh, we just talked about the Lord, talked about our country and our nation, and it's just just a good time in the Lord being down there, and I'm thankful for that. But continue to pray for Brother Jeff. Just been a lot of people on my mind today, and I know. There's many here, but uh, a lot of people going through a lot of different things. And uh, But I'm grateful the Lord gives us opportunity uh, to talk about Him. I stopped up at the gas station to get my typical chocolate and caffeine. There's a fellow fussing because a lady wanted to see his driver's license to buy alcohol. He's just fussing. He said, somebody asked to scan my license. He said, they want to know everything there is to know about me. I told that gal, I said, just what I told you on Sunday. I said, the Bible said that Jesus knows our very thoughts and we're worried about what the government knows about us. The God of heaven knows everything we're thinking and everything that's inside of us. And we worry about what somebody else might know about us. But uh, it is good to be in the Lord's house tonight. If you have your Bibles, John chapter number 4. I know that's surprising to you, uh, but we're not done yet in John chapter number 4. This has been a blessing to my heart to study uh, the conversation of Christ and this woman at the well as we know her, the Samaritan woman. Uh, it, has been, it has been a help to me to look at the conversation concerning the well. It's been uh, a help to, cons to talk about what Christ told her about the water, uh, what he told her about the woman, what he told her about worship. And, uh, and the conversation tonight will quickly come to an end. Uh, this conversation is going to draw to a close tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to move through this chapter. But I want to look uh, at the verses that are before us tonight and see if the Lord will just have us to learn something from His Word together. Look at verse number 27. If you have your Bibles open, verse number 27. The Bible said, And upon this came his disciples and marveled 
that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Father, I thank you once more for the privilege to pray and for the opportunity, God, that you've given us again to be in your house tonight. I thank you for these that have gathered out, Lord, on a cold, dreary evening, Lord, to come into the house of God where it's warm. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds, Father, tonight are set on hearing the word of God, not just hearing it, Lord, but applying it to our hearts and lives, and then, Lord, leaving this building and going to do, Lord, what we hear this evening. I do thank you, Lord, for the drive and the desire that you put in us to be in your house. I thank you for that drive and desire that you give us to live for you on a daily basis. God, as we heard a preacher say this week, uh, Lord, how do we even know that we're saved? And uh, Lord, he made the comment, Lord, to us that uh, we know because we're continuing to walk, not because I have walked, but Lord, because we are still walking. Uh, Lord, in your goodness and in your mercy and in your spirit, Lord, I thank you tonight for that. I thank you for your keeping power, for your love, for your holiness, your righteousness, your goodness toward us. Lord, I pray you'd just help us to hear from you tonight, and we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a little bit quiet in here tonight. And uh, on a cold evening outside, and it warm inside, and it quiet inside, you might be tempted to take a nap. You've worked hard today, I know that. Many of you have labored on your job and you still made a special effort to be in the Lord's house and I know God will honor you for that. Looking tonight at our text, and I'll try not to be too long-winded, this long discourse with this Samaritan woman is coming to a close tonight and it's coming to a close by the return of the disciples to the well where Jesus had sent them out to buy food and sent them out and told them that he would be there and they're coming back and their return uh, is in the middle of this conversation and it has been uh, brought right as this conversation has been brought to its climax. If you'll remember last week, we uh, read the story where Jesus said, uh, uh, the Messiah cometh and she said, I know he's coming. And he said, I that speak unto thee am he. The conversation is at its highest point. It's at the peak of what Jesus wanted to tell her. And lo and behold, the conversation is going to come to an end because the disciples return. This weary Jew sitting by a well, tired and, and uh, on time, has just told this sinful, adulterous woman, all that she ever did, and he did not stop there. He has declared that he is the Messiah. He has declared that he is who the Jews have been looking for all of these years. Verse 27 tells us as we open up in our text tonight that his disciples returned and this phrase, uh, upon this they came, tells us that there was an interruption in the conversation. Now, I don't know how you feel about it. I do not know uh, if it bothers you or if it does not bother you. But if I'm talking to someone and someone runs right up in the middle of me and that person and begins to talk 
that distracts me and it almost takes my mind completely away from the conversation that has been going on for 10 minutes when it is interrupted by someone who has no patience. I don't know if that bothers you or not, but it does bother me somewhat uh, when I'm talking and and, uh, somebody just runs right in the midst of a conversation between two people and and interrupts. Uh, It's not just distracting and disturbing, but it's just flat out rude. And uh, here comes not just one disciple interrupting the conversation, but here comes 12 men uh, into the middle of a conversation between uh, the Lord and a Samaritan woman. Now, uh, let me say this. While they were wondering uh, these things, the Bible said none of them bothered to ask uh, the Lord, why are you talking to this woman? What are you seeking after? Nobody bothered to ask him, uh, but there was enough of, uh, of intent on their faces uh, to know from the woman that they did not like him talking to her and she leaves. Now, the way we've always heard the story and the way we read it, no doubt, is that, well, she was just so excited that she had found the Messiah that she just left and run away. If you were uh, to understand the culture and we'll try and how to get to that in just a minute. But if you'll understand the culture of what's taking place, it was more apt to be that she saw the looks on the faces of those men and how unhappy they were that her and Christ were having a conversation that it interrupted to the point that caused her to leave out of guilt for speaking with this Jew. This interruption in the conversation is a divine interruption. The song of Solomon chapter number 8 and verse number 4 says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love until he please. The song of Solomon said uh, that uh, this was not, the beloved was not going to be interrupted until it was his time and his way and right in his time. So while this interruption was a distraction and while this interruption was a disturbance of the conversation, this interruption was a divine interruption in this plan of God where he intentionally met this woman at the well. Now you say, preacher, all of this interruption and intent and and divine interruption and all of that, I just want to remind you that as we began preaching through the book of John and we came to chapter 4, the Bible said Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He declared that it was necessary. He declared that it was uh, that it was a planned meeting with this woman, not by her, by no means. Uh, she had planned to go to the well like she always did, but Christ had planned to meet her there to talk to her about eternal things. And here, uh, this divine interruption, uh, this divine interruption that comes from God, uh, the Song of Solomon tells us uh, that you're not interrupting uh, the beloved unless he pleases so. Reminding you very clear, it is not just a conversation, but it is an intentional conversation told us this must needs that Christ 
meeting was necessary and now he allows the meeting to be interrupted. Now Christ has ministered, he's witnessed, he's totally given her the gospel. He's literally laid himself before her. And now comes the question surrounding the discourse. These questions arise because the conversation seems almost irrational. While it is intentional, it seems like an irrational conversation. We've talked about the relationship between the Jews and and the Samaritans and how it was not a pleasant relationship. And here this uh, Christ is treating an openly sinful Samaritan woman like she was a well-rounded, well-respected Jewish woman. He's talking to her politely. He is talking to her with respect. He is talking to her reverently. And it makes it seem like that what he's doing is just out of his mind, irrational and not thinking. His disciples walk upon him talking to this woman like she's somebody. Isn't that amazing that while you were lost and in sin, while you were still in your sinful condition, that Christ came by where you were and spoke with you in a rational sense. Uh, He spoke with you with respect and reverence. He spoke to you about your sin uh, in a very similar way uh, of the way he spoke uh, to this Samaritan woman about her sin. He did not avoid the sin, but he did not knock her over the head with it either. He wanted to save her, not kill her or drive her away. It seems irrational and to his followers this does not even seem logical. The scene quite honestly could have not only raised questions about the intent of the conversation but it could have created hostility among the disciples. The conversation could have caused an internal problem with the followers of Christ. I'm going to try to show you right quickly what I'm talking about when I talk about the culture and I talk about how the the intent of the conversation is brought up in the interruption. It is important that we understand the reaction of those following. And the initial reaction is quite regrettable because they're still stuck in a social mindset that Samaritans are lower in life than they are. We would, we would use the term racist to today to describe their actions and the way they responded to Christ talking to this Samaritan woman. It is, uh, it is regrettable. Uh, it is apparent that they were still uh, stuck in that issue of the Samaritans and the Jews and maybe these men had some merit to the way they reacted. Maybe there was a little bit of reason why they could, but listen, the common opinion of that day was summed up by this. This is how a Jewish man looked at other Jewish men speaking not only to Samaritan women, but women as a whole. I want you to listen to this. This is a uh, how do you say that word? 
rabbinical statement, is that how you say it? It's, it's from the rabbis and from the teachers, the masters of that day. And this is how uh, most men held their opinions about conversations with women. A man, and I quote, a man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even his own wife, and especially not with another woman, on account of what many may say. End quote. That is a rabbinical statement that was the belief system of most uh, uh, men of that day, most religious men, and their merit very well could have been in this rabbinical statement that says Christ is not only talking to a woman in the middle of the day uh, in public, uh, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Uh, it's no relation to him. Uh, it's not his mother. It's not his sister. It's not his wife. He's talking to a woman that's been married five times uh, and is living with a man. What is he thinking? That is the reaction to the disciples that created the interruption. In the conversation. What is he thinking? Now listen. That rabbinical statement almost sounds absurd. You mean I can't talk to my wife in the street? I can't talk to my sister at a motel? I can't talk to my sister or, or my mother in public? Have you lost your mind? Sounds absurd. But if you saw me talking to a woman standing outside the mall that wasn't my wife, you might have some of the same thoughts that these disciples had. Who is that my preacher's talking to and why is he talking to her? Could have been somebody I knew from high school that hadn't seen in 20 years that I ran into at the mall. I could have been anything, but our minds immediately have begun to think and to twist and to wonder why. So there might have been some merit to the reaction of the disciples when they come up and see Jesus talking here. But I would say to you that Christ did not pay attention to the rabbinical statement. He was not living by the law of man. He was not living by what some rabbi had dreamed up as a standard or a rule. He was living by the will of his father. He was there to save sinners. There was a sinner that needed saving and Christ went to save her. In order to save her, he must talk to her. In order for me to tell that woman at the cash register that Jesus loves her, I'm going to have to speak to her. And so will you. And I understand the dangers that are involved. I'm not going to visit women at their home without somebody with me. I'm not. But I'm telling you in public where you can't get in trouble, Jesus witnessed to a woman. Amen? He did. 
Now listen, he wasn't holding her hand. He wasn't stroking her hair. He wasn't doing any of those things, but he was talking to her about the gospel. He was giving her what the entire world is in need of. He was giving her an opportunity, an opportunity to be born again by the grace of Almighty God. He was presenting to her himself. Listen, what these men have witnessed would have been a breach of conventional living of that day. Another man from that same era, and listen, the book I was reading did not tell what his name was or I would tell you. He said this, he that talks much with womankind uh, bring evil upon himself and neglects the study of law and last will inherit Gehenna, which is hell. He said a man that speaks much with a woman. This was the mindset of that day. So what Christ was doing in speaking to this woman when this interruption came was irrational. It was not logical. It was unthinkable for a man to speak to a woman in public. While this action by Christ seems irrational to these followers, it was something that had to happen. It was part of the plan of God, not only for them to talk, but now I want to don't cut me off before I finish my sentence because it's going to sound like I'm about to say something bad, but it ain't. Not only was he there to talk to her, but he came there to touch her spiritually. And he has done so because he has brought conviction to her heart. He has revealed to her the sin of her life. He has opened her eyes in a spiritual sense. And we sing the old song, Oh, he touched me. He touched me. It was on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday that somebody touched me. He didn't just come to the well to talk to her, but he came to the well to touch her. It was a touching moment of conversation that he could touch her in a spiritual sense to open her eyes that she may see herself and see himself. This conversation with this woman, listen, brought conviction. And our disciples had got to see this part or had they got to see this part that it is likely that they knew they probably knew already that the conversation had something to do with spiritual things by based on what they knew about Christ but they had not seen the conversation they had not heard the conversation and what they knew come from the rabbinical teaching probably had their minds stirring the wrong way But had they have just really thought about who this man is and what he had displayed in front of me all of these years that we followed him, probably would have known he was up to something spiritual, not physical. Our minds, listen, my pastor told me years ago some stories that he had encountered or seen in his life about preachers picking up prostitutes to tell them the gospel and give them a track and then tell them to get back out but if somebody sees them 
you know, they're going to think the worst. <laughs> yeah, probably so. If you're going to do that, you probably ought to have three or four other people in the car with you, not just one more, three or four more. Amen. But the reality is our minds, when we see, we react. And these disciples interrupted this conversation over a reaction that no doubt later was regrettable to them. Here's where I want to get to in the text tonight. Verse number 27 said, They marveled that he talked with the woman, but yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest with her? That particular statement in and of itself makes me think that our day is not much different than Christ's day. Instead of just asking him, they kept that in their mind. And their mind kept turning. And kept turning. And kept turning. They could have just said, what were you doing, Lord? He would have told them. He would have told them. They would have just said, Lord, why are you talking to that Samaritan woman? He would have said, because I want her to get born again. He would have said the same reason that I was talking to Nicodemus just last night and you didn't know about it. I'm giving her the gospel. I'm telling her what men must do to be saved. But nobody asked him. Nobody talked to him. They were just reacting on assumption without talking to him. The way I read the Bible and the way I understand what's being said, they should have just asked him. So here we move down to verse number 28. Then the woman left her water pot. He didn't just come to touch her and to talk to her spiritually, but now with the conversation being interrupted, this woman has been given the opportunity to go tell what she's heard. She has taken so seriously what Christ has said to her. If you remember, her initial intent in the middle of the day was to come and draw water. But what has been said to her has taken the priority over the water so much so that she left something very important not just for that day but for future days. She left her pot to go tell what had been told. This is how the gospel works in every situation. In every person that has ever been born against life, this is the gospel. He came and told you what he knows. And that is you must be born again. If you got born again, he touched you. He cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Uh, he saved you gloriously by his marvelous grace. Uh, he has touched you in a spiritual manner with the intent for you to go tell others. That's the gospel in every life. And if we don't have it in one of those areas... We need to get right with the Lord. If we can't tell someone about how good God is, something's wrong with the God we're serving. Is that all right? 
I talked to uh, Brother Daniel, Brother Faggart's son-in-law down there today, and, and Ethan and I were down there talking, and, and we were talking about uh, how America has moved and made a, a God that they love, but just isn't the God of the Bible. It's just not the God of the Bible. Because, see, the God that we love has saved us and we use that phrase, uh, eternal security, and I'm a believer in it. I'm a believer in the security that God gives to us, the assurance that he has blessed us with. I believe if you're saved, uh, you're saved and you're not losing it. I believe that. But American Baptists and American Christians uh, have taken so advantage of the terminology that they are saved and useless. They, have, they are saved and resting. They are saved and doing nothing for the cause of Christ. That mentality makes me question whether they ever got the truth of the gospel to start with. Here's a Samaritan that had been married five times, six men in her life that we know of, that were told about in the scripture, six different men. We're talking about a prostitute of sorts. At the very least, this was a loose living woman that cared nothing of the things of God, but as soon as she heard the gospel, she left to tell others what she had heard. What she'd experienced. That's why if somebody comes to this altar, and don't y'all get mad or offended at me when I tell you this, if you come to the altar and pray with somebody that has made a profession, and you tell me, preacher, they got saved, and the person that made the profession don't want to tell me they got saved, I'm not going to announce it to the church that they got saved. Why? Because when somebody gets born again, we're ready to tell it. Amen, people. I've got phone calls at two and three o'clock in the morning with a mama on the other line. It said, preacher, I hate to call you at this time of night, but little Johnny's got something he wants to tell you. Amen. You may listen. You may not feel like calling the president, and he probably wouldn't want to listen if you did. But the reality is, uh, when the gospel gets your heart, you're going to want to tell somebody. Yes. Amen. I remember walking into work on Friday morning and looking at, at James Hitchley, that old bald-headed fella that performed my wedding ceremony. I looked at James right in the eye and said, Brother James, I got saved last night, right with the Lord, born again, ready to meet Jesus. Amen. I wanted to tell somebody what the Lord had done for me. And this woman was no different. Now with the conversation being interrupted, she slips off to go tell. You see the divine plan of God now? You see how it was a divine interruption? And you say, well, preacher, I ain't seen it just exactly yet. I see what you're talking about. Uh, but listen, I'm going to call it 
uh, in incitement. Not excitement, but incitement. The word means really uh, to rile people up to the point of doing wrong. They have incited a riot. That is the idea behind the word incitement. And this woman has, uh, I mean, she has gotten a hold uh, of something that that she has never experienced before. uh, And it's so exciting to her as she leaves the water pot, uh, as she leaves her means uh, of drawing water, how to cook with, to bathe with, how to clean with. She's left her means. uh, Why? She took serious uh, what Jesus said when he said, they'll be within you a well of living water springing up and she left to tell somebody else about this water to tell about it I can't save anybody I was thinking about this yesterday I think I was thinking about do I have power to save and this stem I'll just tell you where this stemmed from, I was listening to a preacher, a little clip of a preacher, and here's how his statement started. He said, in spite of what the Bible says, dude, are you serious? That was my mind. Are you serious? You expect me to listen to the rest of what you've got to say if you started your sentence by saying, in spite of what the Bible says says and he was talking about salvation and he was talking about different things and and it began to stir my mind do I have the power to save anyone does anybody here possess the power to save anyone I don't if I don't have the power to save myself, which I don't have, I do not have that power or that ability. If I do not have the power to save myself, I certainly do not think I would have the power to save Brother Chip or our Sister Amy or Brother Ricky or Brother Johnny. It is not in me to be able to save. If it were, and if I had that kind of power, and even if I had the power of Benny Hinn and TD and all of that crowd on TBN, I'd close the hospitals down, I'd close the nursing homes down, I'd close the funeral homes down, there'd be nothing left that would be painful but I don't have that power I can't I can't go up to the hospital and run down the hallways and say you're healed, you're healed, you're healed you're healed, you're healed, I can't do that I can't run through the church house and say you're saved, you're saved, you're saved you're saved, I can't do that man I tell you what it'd put me out of a job pretty quick if I could Amen. I don't have the power. But this woman has met somebody that has the power. And when I got born again, I met the same fella that had the same power that sat by a well and talked to a woman that the world said he had no business talking to but he talked to her and he saved her and because of the power that is within him she ran to tell others about what he had done for her her excitement incited a riot as such 
so to speak. <laughs> Inside it, a riot. It will move us to do what others may deem wrong or unnecessary. Others may say, it's not your place to go tell others about Jesus. Or just leave them alone. It's their right. They can live how they want to live, act how they want to live. They surely can. But they, if they're going to, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if a, if a person dies and go to hell, they ought to go over our dead bodies. I believe it was similar to that. That ain't quoted exactly right. But it ought to be, if they're going to die and go to hell, they ought to die and go to hell over us pleading and begging with them to hear the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender themselves to his will. Isn't that right? Oh, listen. This... This woman had incited something that maybe she wasn't expecting, and it doesn't incite a riot, but it does incite people to come to the well. At the very least, we ought to have enough God about us to incite some people to come to the well. Why the well? That's the last place she had seen him. When she left the well, that's where he was, and she wanted people to get where he was. Hey, listen, if I, if I thought the last place that I had seen him or felt him that he could save somebody that was up under the arbor, I'd be trying to get people up under the arbor, amen, so we could tell them what Jesus had done. If the last place I'd seen him was down under the backstop of the ball field, I'd want them to come up there where I know they'd be where he is. And that's what we ought to do and how we ought to be. If you know God has saved sinners inside the Landis Baptist Church, at the very least, we ought to be trying to get people to the well where he has done it before. That was the intent of inciting this riot, so to speak. Riot's not the right word, but it's making people do things that other people don't agree with. And that's what's happening. We're talking about Jews and Samaritans coming together and and listen, that's unacceptable out of both sides of the situation. Unless Christ is involved. Come see a man, she said. Told me all things that ever I did. Listen, now you know we've already said this. Uh, the Bible does not say uh, that he went through her whole life story. Uh, we've got part of what the conversation was recorded here in the book of John. Much words uh, no doubt had been spoken. Uh, but what we do know is that she had talked to him long enough uh, to whether he told her about her husband's uh, or whether he started at ground zero and went all the way to present moment. Uh, we know that she learned enough about him to know that he knew everything about her. And he said, come see him. Listen to her words. She said, is not this the Christ? Is he not the chosen one? Is he not 
the Messiah, a man that can look into my mind and know my thoughts. And not only my thoughts are far off, but he knows the intent of my thoughts. He knows whether or not what I told you is a truth or a lie. He knows all of that. And she said, you ought to come and see him. There was something about him that was different than any other man she had ever spoken to. While these disciples are being negative, this woman is filled with enthusiasm. Instead of the disciples going out and being fishers of men like they'd called to do, it appears that the woman has taken up their nets and gone to work for them. Why? Because she was excited. She was excited. Listen. I'm about done. She rushes away to tell what she had seen and heard. So enthused, she forgot her task. She left the water pot. She went her way. I didn't write down who said this. I don't know why, but I'm going to give you a quote. I think it might have been Kent Hughes. He said, those whose it is to publish the name of Christ must not encumber or entangle themselves with anything that will hinder them from their work. If it has been given you to tell others about Jesus, and if you're saved, it has, we should not let anything entangle us or encumber us from doing what we have been bid to do. Listen. When disciples were made fishers of men, they forsook all. It was now her job, not just, not just to tell about the task and all of that, talk about all these I words. It now become her job to inform and invite others. Just to inform people. About Jesus. Listen, it'll help you. I believe it'll help evangelism as a whole if we will understand we can't save. And nobody said amen. <laughs> we do not have the power to save sinners, we don't have it. And if we'll understand that, we can become better witnesses for Christ by giving the most information about him that we can give. We ought to know him. We ought to know about him. And we ought to be able to give information about him to others. What do you want to know about Jesus? Well, let me tell you. He was born of a virgin. He was a Jew. His daddy was a carpenter, so it probably means that he had a little carpenter in him somewhere. I'd say he grew up uh, in the carpentry business. We do know that at the age of 12, that he had enough religion about him that we found him in the temple. And there he was teaching and answering and asking questions of the Pharisees and the scribes, the lawyers, of the doctors, all of that crowd. He was helping them and talking to them. But after that, we don't know anything about Christ's life until he was 30 years old when in, in, when in the Gospels he performed his first miracle by turning water into wine. And we know the life of Christ to the point where we just give information about him. 
And I've sat in many evangelism classes in Bible college. Many have I sat in. And I have heard all kinds of authors write what is the best way to talk to a sinner. One fellow said, you ought to find something you have in common with them and talk a little bit. And he said, you know, if you're standing in your door and you like the paint on the wall, hey, did you paint these walls? It's man's, that's man's idea of how to witness to somebody. The biblical principle that is involved in witnessing somebody is the same principle that is in our judicial system. Uh, the judge and the jury care nothing about what you have to say unless you saw it or heard it. And if you saw it and heard it, they want to know exactly what you saw and exactly what you heard, not anything that you're speculating about, but only what you saw and heard. So this woman leaves, not, not to go tell them that she loves the pain on the walls of their cabin. But she goes to tell them about a man that told her all things that ever she did. She goes and says, hey, I ran into a Jew down at the well today and he started talking to me about water and started talking to me about wells and started talking to me about worship and the next thing I know, he told me that he was the Messiah. He's come. He's here. Come see him. You've got to get to know this man. She just gave information. Now watch. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Giving information and inviting to come and see. Come and see. By giving information and inviting, look what the Bible says. In, the Bible said in verse 30, then they went. They went out of the city and came unto him. Because, not because she went down there with a the power, had a rope, a soul, and had dragged that thing into Christ and say, hey, look what I did. But oh no, as she went with the intent of giving information and inviting others to come and see him, and they went. And they came. And they came. The greatest witnessing tool it was said in an apologetics book that I read, the greatest apologetic or defense of the gospel that I have, the greatest witnessing tool that I have is to simply tell what he's done for me. Paul's testimony was the greatest witnessing tool that the apostle Paul ever had or ever used. He did not have a book of illustrations. He did not have a book that taught him how to evangelize Paul simply went about preaching and giving information and inviting people to come and know the Christ that he met on the road to Damascus. And for all these years now, I've just been telling people what God did for me in a cemetery on a mountaintop. He saved me. He changed me. He made a new life out of me. And tonight, listen, that's all he wants us to do. Just go tell us. That is the intent of the interruption. That is the divine plan. We don't see that. Our minds do not fathom that interruptions are part of God's plan, that he's moving. Listen, God's plan, his must needs to go through Samaria was even bigger than this one woman. 
for years, for years, I, I, I promise, I'm hurrying, but for years I read the story of the widow at Zarephath. For years I read the story looking at what God did for Elijah at Zarephath. One day in my heart, I said, there's something bigger than a man of God being fed, Zarephath. Because it was about a widow believing in the God of Elijah and a son believing in the God of Elijah. And now that family believing in the God of Elijah and that being passed down now through family heritage over and over and over. Sure, he sustained or sustained Elijah while he was there at Zarephath. Sure, he fed him. Sure, the miracle of the barrel and the oil and the cruise is all legitimate. It's all there. But listen, it goes beyond us. This thing's bigger than us. It's about him tonight. And listen, while he stopped by for one woman at a well, many came because she told of him. Jesus wasn't just thinking of one woman. He was thinking of all those others that would come when she went and told all things that ever she did. I wonder how many of them husbands was standing around listening when he said, she said, he told me everything. I wonder how many of them went, uh-oh. I better go see what she's told, <laughs> what he knows. Friend, listen, we don't know how God works. What I do know is he's bigger than I am. Scripture says so. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It might, it might offend some people that, that he intentionally went to Samaria. But he said, I must needs go through Samaria. It is necessary. He intentionally avoided some places. I don't understand all of that. But it's all part of the plan of God. He's running this show. He's running things. And what he so chooses to do is his business. Friend, he saved a woman so that she'd go tell others. Did you know there's people in your circle of friends that I'll never meet? I'll never get to preach to them. I'll never get to share the gospel with them. I'll, and, and many other preachers that you know are in the same boat. Jeremy Collins, they, 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 uh, Pastor up Corey Heights, there's people that you know that Brother Jeremy will never get to preach to. Ron Young, there's people that you know that Brother Ron Young will never, ever get to give the gospel to. There's, there's people that, that all of the preachers that we know will never get to witness to them because God saved you to go tell them they're your people. They're in your path. They need you to share the gospel. Inform them and invite them to Christ. That's our duty with the gospel. I, I, through this whole message, I have heard that crazy southern gospel song in my head, go and tell somebody. And it's, I say it's crazy because that little dude at the end winds up like a, like a, like a wind-up car and lets it loose about going and tell somebody what the Lord has done. Has he done anything for us? I believe he has. He's done a whole lot of stuff. We ought to go tell somebody. 
The intent of the interruption was for her to inform and invite. And she incited a riot at the well. Ain't that a blessing? It wouldn't make me mad if some of y'all incited the right kind of riot down at the house of God by inviting people to come. Amen. If you want to incite one another way, just keep that to yourself. But if we want to incite a riot by sinners coming to Jesus, I'm in. Amen. I'm with you. I'm all right with it. So tonight I hope that through just simply through the conversation. I said the conversation's come to an end. We're going to move on to where the disciples are trying to get him to eat. And he says, I've got meat that you know not of. He's no longer talking to the Samaritan woman. Conversation was ended with an interruption. But we have been informed through the scriptures that this woman got something at the well. Something that made her want to tell others about this man I don't know I'd hate to think I stood before him and never told anybody about him there's a story circled years ago I can't remember if it was in a newspaper or, or somebody made it up I don't, you don't ever know whether illustrations are true or not you don't know that's why I use my stories more often than not because I know my stories are true they're real and right and I'm not going to tell you a story about brother Johnny that I don't know if it's true or not but anyway there's a story going around uh, years ago about uh, it, it obviously was a, a made up story because it talked about heaven things that went on in heaven and how two best friends got to heaven together and one entered into the glories of God and the other one was told depart from me you that work iniquity you workers of iniquity for I never knew you and one friend looked at the other and said all these years and you never told me all these years of being friends and you could never mention him to me. And now at the end of the way, we have to part. Eternity, one in heaven, the other in hell. Wouldn't that be an awful, wouldn't that be an awful feeling? I don't even know if we'll know anything about our friends when we're standing before God in judgment. We're going to be so wrapped up in all the wicked we've done, we ain't going to be thinking about anybody else. But the reality is, if that should be able to happen, how many of us have had friends and, and acquaintances that we've known for years and we've never spoken the gospel message to them that Christ came into the world to save sinners. How many Adams have we had on our jobs that had never read a page in a Bible and we never, and we knew it and never did anything about it? There's more of them in my life than there are the one that I gave a Bible. I can brag about the one I gave a Bible all day long, but there's more that I didn't give a Bible than I did. The reality is, it's going to be a sad day that God saved us to go tell. We never did go tell. That's the intent that I, I believe was in the interruption of the disciples, was that this woman had the opportunity to get away and go tell others and bring more to the well. Bring more to the well. Let's stand to our feet tonight. I'm done. I appreciate your attention. I've preached a long time. But I appreciate you listening. Matt's coming to get a song for us tonight. If there's anything you need from the Lord, this altar's open. Always is. Always is. I don't know. I don't know if it ever happened here at Landis, but I remember days in the mountains coming into church and people already being in the altar. 
begging God to touch the service or begging God to forgive them or something that they've done through the week, begging God to save a sinner, begging God to touch a preacher, begging God to let the singing go well. And the altars were full before anybody ever said, let's go pray. People just come in and pray. And I, listen, I, I don't know. A lot of what we do is, is, is custom and, and ritual, but praying is biblical. I don't care when or where you do it. Praying is biblical. And if you need to come around here and pray, I, I don't even really know what we call an altar here. We're talking about the floor in front of the platform. There's not a physical altar here, but we know when we come here, we've come to a place where God will meet with us. If there's anything in your heart tonight you need to meet with him about, you're welcome to come and pray. While we sing.